0: But a lot can happen in the space of three days. We go from the tomb to resurrection and it just changes everything. Amen. Amen. I love what Desmond Tutu, I think it is a line by Desmond Tutu said, we are a resurrection people living in a Good Friday world. Isn't that right? So before we come around the scriptures, would you just bow your heads with me and let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to thank you. For this Resurrection Sunday. that God that as we gather here today, Father, we come, Lord, knowing the gravity, Father, of what this weekend represents and what it means. That you are no longer in the tomb, but you have risen again. And so, Father, as we come and look at this event, Lord God, Father, as we zoom in a little bit closer... Father, we pray, Lord, that you will just remove the crust from our eyes from yesteryear, Lord God, Father, that we won't come with our own presuppositions, but, Lord, we will come, Lord, and just to be led by your Spirit afresh. Lead us, God, into the truth and into the heart of what happened and what occurred and what it means for us today. So, Father, anoint my mouth, anoint our hearts and our ears, And Father, speak. Holy Spirit, will you speak. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. Now, I'm no Danny B. I can't rap for toffee. And so, instead, I will read the lyrics of one of my favorite Christian hip-hop artists, a guy called Shylin, And he says, are you ready? Is there a beat? Only joking. Only kidding. (laughs) He says, Plato is dead. Socrates is dead. Aristotle and Immanuel Kant are dead. Nietzsche and Darwin are dead. However, Jesus is alive. Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Gandhi and Haile Selassie are dead. Elijah Muhammad is dead. However, Jesus is alive. Throughout history... There's been mad religious leaders, prophets, preachers, scholars, teachers. But when it came to the grave, no one could climb out. That's where Jesus stands alone like taking a time out. And don't be misled, I've got a level head. No resurrection, Christianity would have never spread. The disciples weren't stupid guys who would ruin their lives and then choose to die for what they knew was a lie. That would be beyond ridiculous. Now the issue is the risen Christ seen by 500 eyewitnesses. Imagine 500 people in a court of law, each of them taking the stand, reporting what they saw. And if their stories lined up and made sense, the evidence would have to leave you convinced, no doubt. But still, it's by faith that we trust and praise the son who was raised for our justification check it out praise God as I said I'm no Danny B or Shylin, but respect to these guys who can wrap the truth of the scriptures amen Amen. and I can finally catch my breath (laughs) how do they do it Now, over the years, there have been many who have tried to distort and even dismiss the truth of the claims of what occurred on that first resurrection. But the the truth of what occurred on that first resurrection Sunday, it still continues to echo over 2,000 years later, and it will still continue to echo right beyond eternity and beyond. And so, this morning, it is my great privilege to remind us, ground us, and further encourage us in the truth of the resurrection. And that's the title of this morning's message. And if you have your Bibles with you, then please open up and come with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to read from chapter 15 and the first 11 verses. And it says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. This son, seriously. trying Trying to get away from it. This is burning a hole in my head. See if I can actually, let me rearrange the furniture a little bit. Praise God. I think I'm out of the thing now. Right, we may continue. Yeah, probably follow me around, right? (laughs) Now, just to give you a little context. The Apostle Paul, he visited the ancient city of Corinth during his second missionary journey, according to Acts 18. And there, as he reasoned with the Jews, some opposed him and others reviled him. And so in the end, Paul turned his attention to the Gentiles who, after coming under the sound of the gospel, were saved. And there began the church in Corinth. And needless to say, this church, it had a whole host of issues, ranging from the hero worship of certain leaders right down to sexual immorality. In fact, this city was so debased that it gained a bit of a reputation. As the word Corinth, it became known as a byword for all things sensual and impure. It's kind of like the Sin City or the Las Vegas that we have today. What's more is that this church was so heavily influenced by the Greek philosophy of its day that it succumbed to the lie which denied a physical and a bodily resurrection. Yes, they believed that Christ rose from the grave, but they weren't so sure whether that applied to them also, because false teachers were telling them otherwise. And so for all of these reasons and more, the Apostle Paul, he puts pen to paper, or should I say a quill to papyrus, and he begins to write to set the record straight. And aren't we glad that he did Because had he not, we would not have this wonderful and this powerful chapter which confirms the truth of the resurrection. Praise God. Now, I love how in this passage, it seems that Paul is somewhat acting like a defense lawyer for the resurrection. And so, making the case, he begins to introduce his evidence and first up, It is Exhibit A, namely the testimony of the church. Verses 1 and 2. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, here, Paul is reminding the church of the good news of Jesus, which they received. At the moment that they believed, they crossed over from the realm of death into the realm of life and are still there. You see... The verb, you are being saved, in the Greek, is only one word. It is the term, sozo, and it is in the present tense, which means it is a continual action. In that, we were saved the moment we put our faith in Jesus, which is justification. We're being saved as we grow in the knowledge of our Lord, which is sanctification. And one day we will utterly be saved, which is known as glorification. And so, Paul is saying, Oh, Corinthians, you are a living testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. If, of course, you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Wow. Wow. You see, sadly, within a lot of our churches up and down the country and around the world, you will find three types of people in churches. The lost, the saved, and those who think they are saved. As in, they may know a whole bunch about Jesus, but they have never allowed him to penetrate their hearts. Which is why, down the line, they may even walk away from the faith, demonstrating that they never really knew him. Which is why the Apostle Paul, he issues this warning elsewhere, and he says... Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Second Corinthians 13:5. Amen. Amen You see, it is never enough to just raise our hands in a meeting and to pray a prayer of salvation. Yes, that's the beginning. But the evidence of true conversion is that we will continue to abide and grow in him. As Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are what? Truly my disciples. John 8, 31. And so, continual faith and fruit is the evidence of true conversion because how else can we explain the Corinthian church who against the backdrop of paganism and sexual immorality continued to stand unless of course Christ had done his work in their hearts right thus exhibit A the Corinthian church is the living proof to the truth of the resurrection. Praise God. Are you still with me? I haven't lost anyone. Great. Moving on. And Paul presents exhibit B. Namely, the testimony and the evidence of the scriptures. Verses 3 and 4. He says, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, all in accordance with the Scriptures. Hallelujah. Now, Paul, being an ex-Pharisee, who studied at the feet of Gamaliel, a, a known rabbi in the Sanhedrin, Acts 22. Note how he begins this portion, known as the Creed, in true rabbinic form. And that he says, I delivered to you what I also received. And this isn't the first time that Paul employs rabbinic language, because we also see it elsewhere, namely 1 Corinthians 11, where he speaks of the Lord's Supper. It's where he says, For I received from the Lord, which I now deliver to you. So in effect, Paul is saying, What I delivered to you now did not originate with me, but what I received I now pass on to you and what is he passing on exactly simply the gospel or the good news of jesus christ Amen. that christ he died in our stead for our sins that he was buried and that he was raised from the grave And if we put our trust in him, it means the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, the gift of heaven. And all of that has been made possible because of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Amen. You see, often we get inoculated with just a a gospel shot where we can cite all the creeds, know all the doctrines, but it seldom comes down to a heart level, just remains in the head level. But when we allow that, when we marinate our brain into the, the wonderful word of the Lord and we allow the spirit just to move upon us, then that ignites and it fires something and that is what God has wrought. And this is Resurrection Sunday that we can rejoice in. Amen. You see, all of this, it isn't hearsay. It isn't once upon a time, way back when. But this is historical fact. As it's all accounted for in God's holy writ. Which is why Paul states, all in accordance with the scriptures. Not once, but twice because approximately 700 years BC or before Christ the prophet Isaiah he laid it out in no uncertain terms when he said in Isaiah 53 and verse 4 onwards he said surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace was laid on him, and with his stripes we are healed. Verse 9 He will be buried as a common criminal. Jump over to Psalm 16 in verse 10 and it says that God will not abandon his soul to Sheol or let his Holy One see corruption. In other words, life, death, resurrection, all according to just a handful of Old Testament scriptures. Can you see Jesus? Amen. What's more, is that Jesus going to the cross, it brings an end to that relentless sacrificial system that we find in the Old Testament. Because Mark tells us that Jesus hung on the cross for six hours from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And then at midday, God hides the sun and darkness covers the land for three hours. And then around 3 p.m., Matthew tells us that the earth quakes, the rocks split, and the curtain which separated the Holy of Holies, which stands 60 feet high and several inches thick, was ripped apart from the top down to the bottom. Why? Why? Because God is declaring that my son has made atonement and that access into my holy presence is now granted and that the sacrificial system is now over and done with. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Therefore, all of the scriptures, both old and new, they all point towards the Mashiach, the Messiah, the Christ. And so, Your Honor, Corinthians or Lighthouse Church, there you have exhibits A and B. Namely, the testimony of the church along with the testimony of the Holy Scriptures. Praise Amen. God. man! Now, I want us to shift gears somewhat and in the same vein as the apostles I want to give you something practical tools if you like that if you are ever pressed on matters of faith then like the apostles you also will be able to provide a defense for the hope that you have in Jesus Amen. is that okay? are you up for that? Yep great i see one hand at at least (laughs) only joking because it seems that there are many who are deconstructing and walking away from the faith thinking that it is no longer credible but that couldn't be any further from the truth so allow me to give you the five E's of evidence. And they are super easy to remember because they all begin with the letter E, funnily enough. And you can use them wherever you are or whenever someone asks you about the hope that you have in Jesus. Now, these E's are not my... I've borrowed them from Lee Strobel, who's a a great apologist and a defender of the faith. But they are so effective. In fact, I've used them myself on many occasions out on the street. And so are you ready? You ready to, to to note them? You may even want to jot these down. So the first E, it stands for execution. In that Jesus was publicly executed as opposed to it being a private affair. And his death, it was witnessed by the multitudes and it was verified among ancient Roman historians such as Tacitus, Philo, Josephus, to name but a few. Even the atheist New Testament scholar Gert Ludemann agrees that Jesus' death as a consequence of crucifixion is indisputable in other words that it's not even on the table for debate but it is 100% historical fact and that's coming from somebody who doesn't even believe in the faith in fact it reminds me of an excerpt I once read where a woman wrote to J. Vernon McGee a famous theologian and a broadcaster back in the day and she said our preacher said That on Easter, Jesus just swooned or fainted on the cross. And that his disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? And McGee replied with, Dear sister, beat your preacher with a leather whip. (laughs) Give him 39 heavy strokes. Nail him to a cross. Hang him in the sun for six hours then run a spear through his heart, embalm him and put him in an airless tomb for three days and see what happens. (laughs) Perhaps that's what we should do to all who dispute the indisputable, right? JK, just kidding. (laughs) The second E is for an empty tomb. Why is that even important? Because the body of Jesus was never found, even though it was sealed and placed under a Roman guard. And so the only plausible explanation that accounts for all of this is resurrection. Glory. The third E is for eyewitnesses. As in the risen Christ was seen by over five hundred eyewitnesses. And hold that thought, because we'll come back to it in just a moment. The fourth E, it stands for the early records. And that includes the creed that we have just read of in 1 Corinthians 15, which scholars assert was written within the first four years of Christ's death and resurrection, that it was so close to the event that it cannot be fabricated. In fact, just going off on a tangent, do you know when the historical biography was written of Alexander the Great, anyone? No? 500 years after his death. And they say that a legend is birthed within the first 100 years. And so which would you rather believe? 500 years of testimony or to say, let's be generous, 100 years? But this is saying four years afterwards. I know where I would stack my faith on. And the final E is for the emerging In that the church was birthed over two millennia ago and it still stands strong today. Why? Because Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hallelujah. And so there you have it. In a nutshell, the five E's of evidence for the resurrection. Execution. Execution empty tomb, eyewitnesses, early records, and the emerging church. Learn them, use them, you're welcome. Praise God. Now, coming back to our passage, and in light with the third E, allow me now just to expand a little on the eyewitnesses. You see, In our passage, along with the 500 eyewitnesses, Paul also cites a couple of other characters, namely James and Peter. Now, is that really a good move? I mean, the last time, Peter flaked out, and he denied the Lord, not once, but three times And Peter was so ashamed of himself that he returned to fishing because he felt so inadequate of being a disciple, right? As for James, the half-brother of our Lord, the Gospels tell us that while the Lord was with his brothers, they never believed him. But they said that he was beside himself or out of his mind or mad. Mark 3, 21. And so, was Paul right to include both Peter and James? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because after their encounter with the risen Christ... Peter turned from being a coward into a courageous lion who roared the gospel on the day of Pentecost, seeing 3,000 souls cut to the heart and saved. And later on, James, he would become a prominent leader within the Jerusalem church. And so, absolutely, they were the perfect candidates to cite because they had no reason to fabricate a false resurrection. And secondly, one touch from the king rocked their world and changed everything because that's what happens when we encounter King Jesus, is it not? You see, before I came to faith, I was a drug addict on 300 pounds worth of drugs per day. And because of the amounts that I was buying, I would literally have dealers delivering to my doorstep in the early hours of the day whenever. And the days would all merge into nights and then back again. It was utter madness. And all of this drug use, It took its toll on me to the point where I almost fried my brain on crack cocaine. And then towards the end, I was admitted into a psychiatric unit for a short while. And there, I will never forget the words of this senior consultant who sat me down and he said, Ron, you were so lucky that you came into us when you did. Otherwise, you would have gone past the point of no return and you would have ended up being a vegetable, a cabbage, just staring into space. Isn't God good? Amen. You see, that's the power of the resurrection. And that is why I am not ashamed of my Jesus. And I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Glory. You see, it's not luck. It is all Jesus. Because it's only Jesus who can heal our hurts, mend our brokenness, and heal not only our bodies, but our minds also. And all of that was accomplished at the cross of Calvary. Can somebody give the Lord praise? Thank you. And that is why, Paul making the case later on in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he says that if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain. Our faith is futile and we are still in our sins. And if our hope is for this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. Right? However, because Jesus is risen and he is alive, well, that just changes everything. That is the game changer. That There is no fear in death, but there is solid hope. Knowing that one day we will see him and we will become like him. 1 John chapter 3. And what a glorious day that will be, church. I cannot wait. Amen. Amen. But in the meantime and in light of what we have just heard can I encourage us to take a leaf out of the apostles book as it were and let us become good defense lawyers or apologists. Now that doesn't mean to say that we go around apologizing for being a Christian. No. <laughs> Perish the thought. But rather, let us engage in the realm of evangelism and apologetics, giving a defense for the hope that we have in the resurrection and in Christ. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. Because you see, it is no longer an option, but we have to engage. <laughs> for the sake of our children, and for the next generation. Because as they go off to school, college, university, I assure you, their faith will be tested. And so get equipped, and equip your children in faith. Have those conversations, and teach them about the Lord, and ground them in his word. Because as we do, not only will we build them, but it will also help us to bolster our own faith. And it will increase our own fervency to worship and serve him. And so, in light of the resurrection, let us live and let us move in resurrection power because Jesus has overcome. He is alive today. He is no longer in a grave. He is no longer buried somewhere, but he is risen. And as I said, that changes everything. That's the hope that we have, the Christ in us, the hope of glory. And this is the gospel that the apostles preached. This is the gospel that the saints of old preached. And this is the gospel that we here at Lighthouse Church will continue to preach, all to the glory and the praise of King Jesus. Hallelujah. And so, after the apostles' superb defense on the resurrection all that is left for me to say is I rest my case or in true courtroom fashion the defense rests Amen. Amen. (laughs) you can tell I like my courtroom dramas over here it's great but it's true it's the evidence that demands a verdict so what about you Has the evidence left you convinced? Or are you on the fence? Wherever you are this morning, let me tell you that you can know this Jesus this morning because he is risen. He is alive. That we don't worship a God made out of stone or metal or rubble or any other material, but he is the risen Christ and he is the God who wants to know you and have relationship with you. When the Lord made Adam and Eve the prototype of human beings, of humanity, it wasn't his will to give them a book and say, hey, read this. But it was about God walked in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam. And they would talk and commune. Can you imagine when the animals were named? How God would make something out of the dust and Adam like, yep. Yeah, that's a giraffe, that's a cat, or that's a, a spider. I don't, know, I don't know about spiders, actually. But, yeah, whatever it was. How it was through that relationship that God communed with us, and he walked, and that is what he wants. The first Adam blew it, something royally. But the second Adam, the Christ, came, and it was a reversal of everything that went wrong in the garden. That in the garden where sin came, there was thistles and thorns that just ruined the garden. And our Savior wore a crown of thorns around his head. All of these, this rich symbolism and typology, it's a reversal of what took place. Because that's what God wants. That he loved the world so much. It wasn't that he wanted to destroy it and said, right, I'm done. That's it, it's over. But he loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that whoever, the whosoever's in the world, that's you and I, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting and eternal life. He is the Lord of life. In him there is life. Without him there is no life at all. So wherever you are this morning, come to him today. Because like the song said, Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Gandhi and Haile Selassie are dead. Elijah Muhammad is dead. However, Jesus is alive. And you can know him. Because the scriptures tell us that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can do that right here and right now. Or you can do it later on in your bedroom, in the quietness of your own home. And just say, this is what I said. I said, Jesus, if you're real, if you're truly alive, if you are who these people say you are, show me. I want to know. And I guarantee you, if you are sincere and you call out to him, he will meet with you. He will. The question is, do you dare to believe? Because I tell you, there is nothing to lose, but there is everything to gain that's true and you can come to him for the rest of us let me just encourage you and say let the truth of this resurrection let it not just become something flippant there's a saying isn't there that familiarity breeds contempt that the things that we become over familiar with we say yeah know that done that tick tick bosh let's move on to the next thing but marvel, ponder, reflect upon what occurred because it was the pivotal point in all history. In fact, Christianity, it either stands or falls based upon what took place over the course of this this weekend in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus. And this is his love towards his people, towards his church. So let us not become over familiar with that. Let us stay in that place with childlike faith—not childish faith, but childlike in awe and in wonder. It's like someone once said that uh, there are four reasons for the meaning of life, and they are: first, is awe, Awe is the sense of awe and wonder. Like a child, we a child sees something. You show it something. There's a you know that feeling, right? There's that sense of awe. But then as they go along, awe is not enough. They need to know that is there truth to that? Is it just a big flash in the pan or is there truth to that? And once they know about the truth, you see a whole bunch of you know truth, it could become cold facts as it were. They want to know is there love towards that? And then the final one, is when we're all staring down the barrel of eternity and we don't know where we're going to be or what becomes of us, we want to know about our eternal security. Where will we be when all is said and done and we're in, are we in the grave just pushing daisies up out of the ground or is there more to this life? All truth, love and eternal security and all four of these things, they come to the meaning of Christ's And they all converge in the person of Jesus Christ. Because when we see him, he is awesome. Is he not? He is truth. And he is love. And when all is said and done, we go home to be with him. Do you know heaven as your home today? if the clock were to stop on your life, do you know where you will be and where you will spend eternity? Because as C.S. Lewis once said, that on that fateful day, we will all stand before him. The Bible says, it has been appointed for man to die once and then face the judgment. So whether we believe in that or not, it's happening. It's going to happen. And on that day, we can either bend the knee and say, thy will be done. Or if we don't, he'll respect that. And on that fateful day, God will say, thy will be done. And it will be. So God doesn't send anyone to hell. But we, by refusing, by default, is the place where folk will end up. It's a bitter pill to swallow. It's not a very nice thing to say. But it's truth. And I don't say that with a glint in my eye. I say it with tears. But actually, this is the reality. Tomorrow isn't guaranteed to us. If you don't know the Lord, come to him today. Because he has made a way. And his word over you is he loves you. And he has made a way to receive you. So come, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for how great you are. God, we're going to spend an eternity, Lord, just looking and chasing you down and never being able to fully pin you down, God. And a God that we can pin down with our own minds and imagination isn't a God worth worshipping, Father, if he can fit into my two-pound little brain. Father, we want to thank you that you are the God of eternality, Lord God, that you are the ancient of days, that you were here before anything was spoken and brought forth. And you will still be here, Father, when all is said and done. And we thank you, God, that it is only in your grace that you condescended, Father, you stooped down low to pick one such as I off the ground and how you clean us up. And, Father, how you receive us into your heavenly abode, into your kingdom. And so, Father, we just are so grateful and we are so thankful for what this day represents. That you came and you died and you rose again. And, Lord, I pray that we will forever and always be in awe of this wonderful and glorious truth. And may we live, Lord. As resurrection people in this Good Friday world. All to the glory and praise of your son Jesus. Amen.